0: And now here's your host, Grand Canyon whitewater guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. Today the trail as traveled is being recorded under a beautiful mountain range in northwest Montana. It is a crisp winter day, but just a dusting of snow on the tops of the peaks that we can see just to our right and I'm sitting here with Blade Elliott. Blade has been a pro rodeo cowboy ever since the age of 18. Blade Elliott was born and raised in Centerville, Alabama in a rural area. He knew from a young age that he wanted to ride horses and pursue the cowboy way of life. Blade, I met you in a drift boat on the Clark Fork River about a month ago during hunting camp. You were fly fishing and later on that day one of the hunters was able to get a buck, and we put it on the boat, and I think there was five of us, one buck, and two dogs, and a trout on that boat.
1: Yep, that was a pretty good time, and thanks for letting me be on your show, Mando. I love your show. So, uh, yeah, that was a good time. Uh, it was a little bit cold that day. It was pretty fun getting to watch you drag that deer down the railroad tracks. Watch. I tried to help, but she wouldn't let me. But thanks for letting me be here.
0: All right, Blade, I'd like to jump right in and talk about the evolution of you as a rodeo cowboy. Your father was a third-generation logger. Your grandfather was in the Baseball Coach Hall of Fame. And from a young age, you learned the concept of work and money by harvesting and selling watermelons. You had an interest in riding horses and the cowboy way of life. My first question for you is, where did you grow up, and how was adventure a part of your childhood?
1: So, I grew up in Centerville, Alabama, born and raised... All the way until I moved out here a couple years ago. Centerville, Alabama's definitely a rural area, has a small town. We have a couple stoplights. For Montana it would be a bigger town, but Alabama in the southeast is a smaller town. We have a super Walmart. I grew up not your typical rodeo cowboy scenario. My dad is a third generation logger. Cuts down trees, harvests trees, brings them to the mill to make furniture or paper or whatnot out of. And wasn't a Wild West like you see in Texas, but a lot of your Texas cowboys, here, Montana cowboys. I didn't grow up riding horses. My mom and dad didn't grow up riding horses. They've been on a horse a time or two, it wasn't really their thing. I grew up more or less. On the farming side of thing helping my dad with his watermelons corn tomatoes stuff like that in the field and that's kind of how i first started learning about work and the concept of money was harvesting the watermelons and taking them in a loaded truckload and the trailer load them up going to town and uh going around and just peddling these watermelons and selling them to the locals we would target them after payday. We knew they had a pocket full of money, and we'd sell these watermelons for five to whatever dollars a piece. I thought that I would make maybe $20 to go buy this toy I wanted really bad. This is my, I'm like maybe 12 years old or so here at this time. And this guy wrote me a check for $100 for these watermelons, and I have never seen that much money before, I thought I was rich. For a kid, I was rich. So that taught me about money and hard work, and that was what you did in Centerville, Alabama, is you work hard and you make your money, and that's the way of life. My grandfather was a uh, baseball coach his entire life. He was a teacher, he coached ball, he was superintendent after teaching a couple years. He'd American Legion ball, high school ball, some college ball, He's in the Baseball Coaching Hall of Fame there in Alabama. And my uncle, my dad's brother, he also is a coach. I have another uncle that's a coach. A lot of teachers and a lot of coaches in my family, all baseball coaches. They coach a little bit of football. My granddad also coached some basketball, won the state in basketball in high school. But yeah, so I grew up around sports, but not really rodeoing. So it was kind of a different thing when I wanted to get in the rodeo around high school. I had a buddy in high school that rodeoed, and I really was interested in just riding horses. And after I started riding horses with my buddy a little bit, I got in the way where I wanted to be more of a a cowboy. I just thought that was such a cool thing. These guys roping and riding and whatnot that basically i just seen on TV. And my buddy, he kind of grew up around rodeo, his dad rodeoed, so he'd been around it a lot. Well, I also had a uh, mile down the road, there was a stock contractor, and a stock contractor is the guys that put on the rodeo, so they got bucking bulls that they raise, and they have little small rodeos there at the house. And so I'd drive by there and see that every now and then, and I'd want to stop in, and i did end up stopping in with my buddy and they ended up getting me help open gates and stuff like that just getting to be around it and i was like man i kind of really want to ride one of them bulls is what i'm thinking you know and that looks like a lot of fun but it's also crazy and my parents would kill me (laughs) at first i thought i wanted to be a bull rider but later on i changed my mind i wanted to be a bareback rider but just going back to riding horses my first horse that i owned was a 18 year old quarter horse gelding and i thought that when i bought it it was like 10 or 12 but when i got the papers on it it was like 18 but it all worked out good she was dead broke to ride and uh it was a really great horse for me to learn how to ride on and the feeling i guess of uh owning my own horse and getting to sit on that horse it was like a being in control and out of control at the same time where i'm riding something that i'm in control of but at the same time that horse could do whatever it wanted to if it really wanted to you know at any point in time but uh, i would ride the horse almost every day just up and down my parents property and oh i'd have my cowboy hat on and i thought i was real deal cowboy you know having this horse but come to find out i wasn't really cowboy yet When I started going to the rodeos and started learning what it felt like to hit the ground really hard and get up and go do it again, then I really started, I guess, feeling more of the cowboy lifestyle. That is the cowboy lifestyle, never giving up, keep going. You get down, you hit your head, you can't tell which way is north and south, get back on the horse, and anybody can take that to uh, anything they're doing in life and apply it that's really going to put you on the winning trail my first rodeo I say my first rodeo the first time I got on a bucking horse my parents didn't want me to do it it's a smart thing why would you want your kid to do something that dangerous especially not coming up and being around it your entire life they don't know anything about it they just know it's dangerous it could kill me and yeah it could kill me i'm sure i've came close to dying a couple times and anybody that's done this long enough has so the first one i got on is in tanny hill alabama this little small amateur rodeo and they just let me get on i wasn't even entered my buddy's mom signed the papers for me because i was only i think 17 you had to be 18 i think to get on She pretended to be my mom, signed the papers, I begged her to do it, and I can't believe she did it, but she did. And I get on with the stock contractor's gear, he's got some gear, call it a rigging, and this bareback rigging, the handle of it's made out of rawhide, really hard rawhide, and it's a leather body, so it's more like a suitcase handle, and you wedge your hand in there, pretty much you get it stuck in the handle, so when all the jarring and buckings going on, your hand don't blow out and you go flying in there, which it happens. This horse come out of the chute, and it took a run before it started bucking. Well, I guess. I fell off while it was running. It didn't even buck. I just fell off the back of it. My hand wasn't really stuck in there. It just kind of just blew out the back and landed on my back. And I don't know why I thought that was so awesome, but... I guess if it really would have bucked, it would have threw me way higher in there, just off the back of the horse, but couldn't wait to do it again, I'm not sure why, it was a thrill, and couldn't wait to do it again, And I, but I wanted to learn how to do it right, I don't just want to do something, anything I do in my life, I don't want to just do it, I want to do it to the fullest, and I want to have all the right stuff, and I, I want to do it correctly, and I want to find who can teach me how to do it correctly which was really hard in alabama alabama is not a your typical i guess cowboy's place to be i mean there's plenty of real cowboys in alabama but uh i didn't know any of them Uh, maybe my neighbor that had the bulls but they don't know anything about the bareback riding and so what i'd done was i went home three of my buddies actually we saved up enough money we wanted to buy that bareback rigging that I used at that rodeo, thinking maybe that guy would sell it to us. And we saved up $25 a piece, and we bought this rigging for $75, and we thought we was all gonna share it. Well, I ended up with it. Everybody else got smart and didn't wanna ride bucking horses like I did, and so I ended up with it. And I still have that rigging. Actually, it's at my parents' house down in Alabama. It looks like a rigging. it's been rained on a couple of times. It just looks like a pile of leather and rawhide, like something a dog would chew on, I guess. I took that rig in and I got all the right gear and I would put it on that broke horse that I bought that was 18 years old. It was an ex jumping horse. So a jumping horse, there's two different styles of riding in, in the horse world. There's English riding and there's Western riding. And so this horse had been used for both. The English style of riding is what you'd see with the men and women wearing the black helmets and the black, uh, I don't know what they're really called, because I don't know much, much about it, the leather-looking pants and the tall, they don't have a horn on their saddle. It's all about form and how you ride. Well, anyway, this horse had been trained to jump over these poles. So it's been bred to jump over poles. And so I'd set these poles up on some concrete blocks and use a, I don't know, a rake handle or something in the yard there. And I'd take off running and I'd have my gear all on the horse and I'd be laid back. in the bareback riding, you kind of lay back on the horse. And that's for, because the way you ride, you hang on with your feet, with your toes turned out and your feet right above the break of the shoulders. And when the horse rears up, when his front end comes up, you bring your, feet up um you hang on with your feet and your spurs and bring them up when the horse when his two front feet hit the ground and he kicks out kicks up in the air with his back feet you got to be home bases with your toes turned out above the break of the shoulders your free hand the hand you're not hanging on with has got to be up in the air it's a one-handed deal and uh, you got your chin tucked, buried against your chest, or your chest stuck out, and you're, like I said, you're laid back a little bit with your core tight. This motion of spurring up and down with your feet, and with his rhythm of going up and down. And so when that horse would come up to the pole to jump over it, that was my one buck I would get to practice my form. And I'd bring my feet up and click them off the handle of my rigging and then set them, that one jump he had a halter on and i'd reach up grab the halter and ride him back around and i'd do it again and again and again until i had this form down that was how i first started and how i wanted to get some practice in is doing that and then later on i ended up getting another horse riding horse that wasn't very good to ride and we built a small little arena a little sketchy buck and shoot of some cross ties and whatnot and we would go buck this arabian mare i had and i would practice riding on her and we'd buck her maybe three times in a row um, with me riding her and she liked it she loved to buck and i loved to ride bugging horses so it worked out and uh, that's how i practiced uh, my dad would come help me or my buddies they'd come out and help me buck this horse and like I said, I couldn't really find that help I wanted from some great teacher, so I ordered a DVD on the internet. It was a Clint Corey instructional bareback riding DVD. And he was, I don't know how many times, the national finals rodeo qualifier. I, I think he won the world a time or two, but that was who instructed me, it was him off that DVD. My parents didn't want me to rodeo, still. I'm practicing all this stuff in the yard, they didn't want me to rodeo at all i think i ended up going to another rodeo behind their back and riding in it then i finally talked my dad into going to a rodeo with me well he went with me and i blew out the back again my hand just blew out like the second jump and this horse did buck he really bucked and i flew i don't know how high up in the air i was coming down head first like about to break my neck well the horse bucked again and his butt hit me in the side and flipped me a little bit where i wasn't going to land straight down on my head i landed on my back and i was fine well my dad was watching that right there from the side of the arena my mom's not there because my mom didn't want to go she did not i want nothing to do with this and i don't blame her so it was just me and my dad going to these for a little while well after my dad seen that and seen where i almost broke my neck maybe died or whatever when we got home he's like you're selling that you're either selling your gear or i'm going to take it out in the yard and burn it like just get rid of it get it out of the house he said this rodeo stuff it's it is worms in your head that's what he told me he said the broncs and the bloods and all this this is just worms in your head so I decided, I, well, I wasn't going to do that no more. I went in my room. And I looked at all my stuff, and I was thinking about the time that I'd put into it so far and how much the joy I had for this sport. And I started crying and put my hand on my glove. I remember looking at my glove and squeezing my hand with the glove on, and I was crying. and So I, well, you know, they're right. I don't need to do this. And so I tried to not think about rodeo. I put my hand in my glove and I'm squeezing the glove and I'm looking at it. And I'm crying and I'm thinking, I really want to do this. this. I love this sport, but maybe my parents are right. It's too dangerous. It's dumb. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get hurt. It's this ain't me. You know, what is an Alabama guy trying to learn how to ride bareback horses? Why am I trying to do this? Okay, I'm not a cowboy. Days went on. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop looking at that glove i called my buddy the one that i go to the rodeos with and all and he uh come and he got my gear bag from me i said man just take it to your house i don't know what to do with it uh pay me for it when you get the money and so he's got my whole gear bag and the gear bag consists of rodeo gear bareback riding stuff you got your rigging i've explained the rigging You got your glove, and it's got these big pieces of leather kind of on the side of it that catches in that handle that helps you grip or kind of locks you in there. I got a vest, protective vest you wear. I've got a neck roll, which is be kind of like I call it a cowboy collar in football. It protects from whiplash. There's a lot of whiplash going on in bareback riding. And I got some chaps, and the chaps you wear are mainly to be flashy. It's just for looks, really, uh, when your feet's going and you're doing things right and your chaps are popping. it, It's a really cool look. It just goes back to the history of cowboys wearing chaps. I mean, it's, it does help a little bit if you get stepped on, maybe on your thigh or something. It'll help the hoof deflect off your legs. But it's not as protective as, say, uh, horseshoers, chaps, him wearing those or something they're just to be flashy and and look good but uh and i got boots cowboy boots of course with uh spurs on them and the spurs are blunt they have blunt rows that roll they're not sharp or anything they don't puncture the horse or anything like that they they don't hurt the horse they're just to help us get a grip and that's the gear bag so he come and got that whole gear bag from me so my dad didn't burn it in the yard or anything and I had a little empty feeling, like I'd put this effort in this new sport and was really getting into it and It's like a itch you get it's a it's a it's a it's adrenaline, but it's i don't know it's it's hard to describe i know any anybody listening that has something they're really passionate about, they're just addicted to doing it if you can remember back right when you first started getting end of whatever that is that feeling you got well it's like this but you throw some really hardcore adrenaline in with it and mix it up you'll get bareback riding
0: the trail less traveled podcast and international outreach programs are made possible by the support from listeners such as yourself for the cost of a cup of coffee once a month You can support the show on Patreon. Patreon can offer you a subscription-style payment method in the amount of your choice in exchange for priority access to the Trail Less Traveled visual series, exclusive content, behind-the-scenes footage, and ad-free podcasting. Please consider helping keep my fiscal raft afloat by visiting patreon.com slash Traveled. Today, the trail has traveled is being recorded on a crisp winter day under the mountains here in Montana. I'm sitting with pro rodeo cowboy, Blade Elliott. Blade has been riding pro rodeo ever since the age of 18. He was born and raised in Centerville, Alabama. Blake, what I wanted to come back to was, you said that your parents didn't support you. Your father threatened to burn your gear if you didn't get rid of it. So you had a friend come and pick it up for you. But then eventually, your father did start supporting you. You practiced behind your uncle's barn on some horses and mules. Let's talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so time went on, and they seen that I was not going to give up with the rodeo thing. I was just going to keep doing it with or without my parents' support. They made the decision to, well, we better support him or... He's just gonna do it anyway. Let's help him, let's support him. So uh, I got more gear. My dad says we're gonna go to these little amateur rodeos around the house here, see how you do. I'm gonna go with ya. My mom still didn't wanna go watch me ride. Like I said, I don't blame her. It's a real hard thing for a mother to watch. And so my dad's gonna help me practice and we had that arena. And it's out behind my uncle's barn in one of his pastures. We bought some panels. My dad was gonna use them with his cows that he had too and we built this little bucking chute, and we're bucking this arabian mare a couple days a week out there for me to practice and um, he's helping me well the days that he didn't get to come help me and when my uncle wasn't around me and my buddies would go out there and we'd buck that horse well my uncle also had some mules and some other horses out in his pasture the uh, coon hunted on when he wasn't looking we'd go get a bucket of feed and call up one of the mules or horses or whichever one come to us and we'd catch it and put a halter on it and we'd take it out into the arena and I'd strap my rigging on it and we would practice with the horses and mules and one time I remember I hear some kind of noise coming through the woods and it's a four-wheeler an ATV and here comes my uncle He's coming in hot on that four-wheeler, and we've got his mule, the halter on it. My buddy's holding it. We got my rigging on there, and I'm sitting on it, spurring it, and here he comes. So we had to try to play that off, like, oh, we're just uh, riding this around. Uh, We're not doing anything, you know, Uh, just practicing how to strap the rigging on something, you know. He knew what we were doing. He was wild when he was younger, too, so he knew what was going on. So I start doing these amateur rodeos, and it don't take two or three rodeos. I'm already winning. I'm winning money. I've had all this practice. I've watched that guy on the DVD and had all these people supporting me and helping me, and I'm an Alabama cowboy on the rodeo circuit. A couple of months go by, and I'm doing pretty good at these amateur rodeos, and I'm getting a big head. Well, the college coach calls me at the University of West Alabama, and he says he wants to see me ride and come down to practice next week and you can get on some horses for practice down here with us the big boys you know you know he don't infer it but want to talk to you about going to school here and so i go down and everything goes good i get on like three or four head and one of the horses just runs straight down the pen and runs into the fence hits its head on the fence and falls over and knocks itself out it's just crazy i don't know it didn't buck at all when me on it and i'm underneath this horse and they had to try to roll the horse out the horse comes back too and gets up and goes running off after i get out from underneath him and then the next one i get on it goes a spinning around and around and i get hung up to the horse i'm hanging off the side of the horse stuck to it i'm just getting beat up and every time I get off, I look at the coach and said, all right, which one's next? Which one do I get on next? After the third or fourth one, he says, okay, you go back there and pick out a jersey. I'm going to sign you up to uh, be on our team. And I called my parents, and I told them what was going on and that the coach wanted me to come to school for him and be on the college rodeo team there at West Alabama. And they were so happy. They never knew that, and I never knew that rodeo could eventually pay for my college and i was on full ride scholarship for four years after that and i got a pe teaching degree from it like a lot of my family that have a teaching degree so um that was pretty neat i started pro rodeo in college you can actually rodeo is like one of the only sports you can do pro and college at the same time it's not a ncaa sport but um yeah
0: that's the voice of blade elliott Blade is a pro-rodeo cowboy. He's been riding ever since the age of 18. He's originally from Centerville, Alabama. Blade, you have been riding for a long time, and you haven't had hardly any big injuries. I'd like to talk to you now about technique. Also, a little bit about the history of rodeo, so maybe we can start there. So, the history
1: of rodeo came way back when when it was just some cowboys on a ranch, and I said, Hey... I bet I can tie this calf down faster than you can or I bet I can rope these steers faster than you can and breaking horses back then was a lot different they didn't do as much groundwork as we do now before getting on the horse they would just kind of have the horse in a chute and they'd get on them and ride them to the quit bucking that's how you started a horse well that led on to becoming competition who could tie the calf down the fastest which is now the tie down roping came a competition and you got steer wrestling, they jump off their horse, grab the steer by the horns, throw them on the ground, who can do that the fastest? All these common everyday tasks that a cowboy would perform on the ranch, well they all just competed, kind of like, you know, somebody arm wrestling somebody to see who could do it better than one another. I don't even know if they know when the first rodeo was, the rodeo's have been around for so long, it was a long, long time ago. I ever thought about being around. And so in rodeo, you got rough stock events and timed events. The rough stock events are where you're riding an animal for eight seconds and you're judged. There's normally two judges in the arena, and half your score comes from how well the animal bucks, and the other half comes from how well you ride it, your form, and how well you spur it and stay on it. And the timed events. It's on a stopwatch how fast they can throw down the steer. Steer wrestling, there's tie-down roping, there's team roping. Team roping is two guys on horses, they're roping a steer. One ropes the head, one ropes the heels, how fast you can do that. The tie-down roping is how fast the cowboy can rope the calf and tie three legs up. There's barrel racing as well, that's three barrels in an arena set up in a cloverleaf pattern and the cowgirl will come out and go around all three barrels, you can't knock one over and you're timed on that. And then the rough stock events, there's saddle bronc, bareback, and bull riding, and it's all eight seconds, based on eight seconds, you, you gotta have one hand in the air. The bull riding, the bulls tend to spin, a really good bull is one that spins and bucks really hard. and uh, like I said, that's judged half on the bull, half on the cowboy. A, a good score is going to be, you know, in the 80s, 90, 90 plus is an outstanding ride. A terrible ride, kind of in the 60s, 70s. If it's below the 60s, your horse, bull, didn't probably buck very good and you probably didn't ride very well. I've been there. So the bareback versus a saddle bronc ride, and the saddle bronc riding is more your traditional... When I was talking about way back in the day thing, when you break horses, they're riding with a saddle. It's one of the first rodeo events that there ever was. The bareback riding came a little later on just because no one ever rode, broke horses with a suitcase style handle. That would be kind of nuts. Why would you want to do that? Why would you not ride in a saddle? So came a little later on. It's more of your barbaric. You get beat up a lot in the bareback ride. In the saddle bronc riding, you don't get beat up near as much. If you make a perfect ride, uh, everything goes good. You get off on the pickup man. Pickup man is these two guys on horses in the arena. They're your cowboy lifesavers. They come by after the eight seconds is over. Or if you get in trouble, get hung up, whatever, and they save you, you jump off on their horse and they slow down and let you on the ground. The bull riding, they have bullfighters and they jump in when you when you fall off or jump off and they get in between you and the bull and try to distract the bull till you you get away back to the bronc riding event saddle bronc they're sitting straight up on the horse they got a big bronc rein it's a big old rope coming off the halter of these broncs and they're lifting on that to keep their butt down in the saddle and they're spurring from the break of the shoulders back behind them with their feet they're raking kind of from the break of the shoulders back to you almost spray yourself in the butt the bareback riding we are laid back almost laying on the horse it would appear we're bringing our feet up in the air up the break of the shoulders and then back down and that's why we have to lay back because we couldn't get your feet to come up like that if you were sitting up like the saddle bronc rider
0: hello there Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and I want to take a very short break to thank our sponsor, New West Knifeworks. When you love the tools you use, everyday chores become a joy. A finely crafted knife is an extension of the hand that welds it. That's the motivating idea behind New West Knifeworks founder, Corey Milligan. Milligan moved to Jackson Hole to pursue the good life in his early 20s. To earn a living while enjoying the outdoors, he worked as a line cook in local restaurants. His interest in cutlery came from the desire to make a knife that would better express his love of cooking. New West Knifeworks was born out of that passion, a passion which continues to keep the company on the cutting edge. All of New West Knifeworks' culinary, hunting, and recreational knives are made in the Tetons with the finest American steel and tested by the professional chefs, Guides, anglers, and hunters of Jackson Hole, from the New York Times and Wall Street Journal to Bon Appetit and Forbes, top tastemakers appreciate cutlery that is as beautiful as it is useful. Visit NewWestKnifeWorks.com. Today we are recording the trail less traveled under the mountains in uh, northwestern Montana. I'm here with Blade Elliott. Blade has been riding pro rodeo bareback ever since the age of 18. Blade, you have been able to ride pro rodeo without any big injuries. And you were mentioning earlier when you were talking about the difference between saddle bronc bareback and bull that you guys get roughed up a lot when you're riding bareback. I'd like to talk to you about how you've avoided big injuries and also how you stay physically fit.
1: Well the first thing I'm going to do is knock on wood from you saying that uh, I haven't had that many big injuries because I've been really lucky for one thing to be I guess not as injury prone as some others but another is I do really focus on trying to stay physical fit for what I do. Try to be a professional at whatever you do and old school cowboys from 20 so years ago or even 10 years ago it wasn't as many gym rats as you see now now in bareback riding everybody works out I mean 90% of the people rodeoing in the bareback riding for sure work out because if you don't you're going to get left in the dust by the guys that do the workout regimens of course are going to be different for everybody everybody has their different thoughts and theories on that later in my career like now I've I've been training for this ever since I've been doing it and you get a little burnt out and uh, I've had to reach out and I'm a little older now I get sore easier I say older, I'm only 29 but in bareback riding age or getting up in age for the bareback riding I might be like a 80 year old man in real life just walking around in the bareback riding world <laughs> to make a comparison so I have a trainer he trains me over my phone over an app and he makes workouts for me he used to be a bareback rider his brother is uh, a national finals qualifier many times and he knows rodeo he knows what we go through he knows what workouts to write me to keep me in shape it's a lot of strength building but then you got to be flexible as well you got to be fast it's a big mix of everything. To compare it to another sport, I would say it would have to be between football and maybe MMA fighting, kickboxing maybe kind of deal. But we don't have to have the endurance that those guys have. Like I said, we're an eight-second sport, so more of a sprinter. More of a sprint than a marathon. you got to stay physically shaped or you're going to get tore down. Your joints are going to get tore up. Your muscles you are not going to heal as fast. And you're definitely going to get hurt way easier. I work out probably uh, three to four days a week normally. COVID has made it harder with the gym closing and we found ourselves doing weird things outside of our house, throwing around barrels or buckets filled with sand and stuff like that. I'm really glad the gym's open now. We can get back in there and try to get in better shape.
0: Blade, I'd like to also talk to you now about mental health. Let's talk a little bit about some of the emotions that may arise when riding bronx in particular those seconds before the gate opens can you tell us a little bit about that
1: as we're talking about being physically strong to be physically strong you got to be 10 times more mental strong than you do physically strong because if you don't have it in your brain if it's not right upstairs it don't matter how many push-ups you can do or pull-ups People always ask me, well, are you nervous or are you ever scared of doing that? Like, well, if if you don't get the jitters before you're getting on, you need to quit because you don't love it anymore. It's not in you anymore. But to control these emotions, I'm more of the joking kind behind the shoots. I like to try to keep my mind off of what I'm about to do and let my mind stay quiet so my mind can do what I've trained my body to do. My mind will let me do what my body is trained to do. And so I like to make jokes of all the guys behind there, or even right before I nod my head. I'll look at somebody and I'll say something funny or make a joke about something, and right all the way up until I nod my head. You're thinking that's crazy. You're joking before you ride these crazy uh, bucking horses, and you can't be too smart to do it. You gotta, you gotta be a little bit crazy to do what we're doing. So starting out the first few years there's this fire when you're a young competitor any sport you have this it's more of a fire you forget you had the fire till you travel to a rodeo with a younger guy and you can just see the what the fire they have for the sport and for riding bucking horses and that you really got to keep that fire going some days i'm getting on and you got to think i'm going to whatever 70 to uh, 100 rodeos a year just guessing on average and every it's like a job it's like showing up for work every day so i mean you're not gonna get that scared excited that jittery feeling sometimes you gotta slap yourself in the face and make yourself get some adrenaline get a little fired up i mean i've been yawning right before i've got on before and like hey man it's time to wake up you know but when the gate cracks and you hear that latch crack. Things kind of go quiet. You don't. You don't hear. Your buddy'd be like, "Hey, did you hear me yelling for you behind the shoot?" Like, no, I didn't hear nothing. Everything's quiet. You're letting your body take over. You reach up there and stick your feet where they need to be. And there's no time to think. If you think, you're behind. You got to let your body take over. Let muscle memory take over. Let all your training take over all the hours on the bucking machine and all the practice come into play the feeling of once you hear that buzzer and sometimes it's even hard to hear the buzzer things are just going so fast maybe the crowd depending on the, the building the arena you're in the crowd maybe so loud it overpowers the noise of the buzzer when it goes off at eight seconds and the feeling when you get off that is a that's my favorite feeling when you've made a good ride you just spurred this big name horse you've always wanted to draw your entire life. You just went ninety points on it, and oh man, that's that's a feeling. like you just took over. You just took on the world, you know. I like to jump around a little bit, throw your hands in the air. Sometimes you just can't even fathom you did it. And I just walk back out of the arena, and did I just do that? You know, I'm just did I do that? But it's a great feeling. The emotions in rodeo is what keep you going, and that's with anything. If you don't have emotions or passion for whatever you're doing, you need to reach down and find some or do something different.
0: Beautiful. That's the voice of Blade Elliott, who has been riding pro rodeo ever since he was 18. We're here in northwestern Montana, recording underneath the mountains. Blade, I'd like to talk to you now about horses and that special bond that you have potentially cultivated with some of the horses you ride and on that note i'd like to talk to you also about where these horses come from you're talking about how you also get judged on how much that horse bucks and these horses go for as much as really expensive race horses let's talk a little bit about where these horses come from and some of the connections that you've cultivated with horses over the years
1: so in the prca that's the uh, pro rodeo cowboy association that's the big league i'm talking about there are many stock contractors that own horses and bulls, and they have to contract out the rope and steers, that as well. But uh, these bloodlines on this, on this bucking stock, they're bred to buck. These horses do it because they like to the buck. And whenever they buck a guy off, he can see them. They know what they did. They're prancing around in the arena. They're taking a victory lap in the arena before they get let out and they're proud of what they do i mean if you think of what they do they travel around they work for eight seconds a week and then they get turned out fed up and they're happy and so these horses their moms and dads are bucking horses and their grandparents are bucking horses and it just keeps going and going and there's a big market for these like like i was comparing it to race horses they got big names selling bloodlines off of uh Show Stomper from Frontier Rodeo Company, like that's a big name. That horse is worth a lot of money. I've I've heard of some bucking horses. There was one called Little Jet that sold for two hundred thousand and a coon dog. It was like that was also part of the deal. They threw in a coon hunting dog and two hundred thousand dollars to get this horse called Little Jet. It's a great horse. Just to have the bloodlines off that horse is worth just that and then also to get to haul it around and bucket in your rodeos it's it's a great deal and they're very well took care of at the ranch and most of these big name horses i'm talking about when they retire them the horses can buck way longer than the bulls the lifespan on the bulls maybe half or a third as much of the bucking horses the horses just their joints and all and horses last longer than cattle the horses we draw, you'd wonder, well, do you not know what you're getting on until you get there? Well, we know it's Friday, Saturday rodeo. We normally find it out, like, on a, the Tuesday before that. They send us an email, and it's got the horse's brand. And his brand is some letters and numbers used to identify him or her, him or her. It has the horse's name, if it has a name. If it's a young horse, a colt, it may not have a name. It may just be... Three, three, four, with no name, and we have the capability now of being able to go online and they have stock stats where we can go on, click on athletes, and under athletes, you can look up yourself or anybody and as well as the animals we get on because they're just as much as an athlete in the rodeo as we are, and uh it'll have pictures of us, and then some of them have pictures of the horses there. And it tells you the stats on the last times that horse competed, as long as who got on it, how many points they scored the rider, how many points they scored the horse. If it's a really big name horse that everybody knows, you don't even have to look it up. That's when you got the good one, when you don't have to look, or you may have the bad one also when you don't have to look it up, the one you don't want to get on, the one that has some dirty rotten tricks up its sleeve to get you on the ground. And so a lot of times when we're entering 100 rodeos a year, you really only want to get on the horses you can win on. You don't want to go travel 3,000 miles or get a plane ticket to go get on a horse that you don't even really feel like you have any chance of winning any money on. So I turn out a lot of rodeos after doing my homework on the horses, or I'll call so-and-so after they've been on them a few weeks ago, and I He says, oh, man, you don't want to get on that one. He runs halfway down the pin, and then he does a double backflip. You know, he doesn't do that, but for instance. (laughs) Or he'll run you in the fence. He'll run your leg down the fence, man. Uh, You don't want to go there. Or he'll flip on you in the buck and shoot. It's not very smart. you got to make money moves, I like to call it, and that's not a very good move. So that's how that deal kind of works, doing your homework and finding out ahead of time what you have.
0: After you have a good ride on a horse, do you have the opportunity to go find it later and give it a carrot or a scratch on the nose and connect with it after you've had your eight seconds together?
1: Yep, there's been a bunch of times where I've been bucked off of this horse and I gather all my bones up in the arena and put myself back together and I'll tip my hat to that horse as he's making his victory lap and getting out of the arena, i tip my hat to that horse we don't buck off many horses in a bareback riding. We're stuck on them pretty good. For one to get you down, he was being an athlete. And uh, I respect the animals just as well as I respect anybody that you lose the fight to. It's a dog fight when you're riding bareback horses. And so you got to give the respect they, they deserve. The time to venters, it's a little different. The time to venters, the guys roping, they haul their own horses. They're hauling a truck and trailer to all these rodeos spending loads of money on diesel to the rope off their own horse but we can travel in a car or a minivan or plane we don't have to bring any nothing but our gear bag with us because we're getting on the uh, stock that that's provided by whatever stock contractor that's assigned to that rodeo so it makes it a lot easier on us traveling
0: You're on The Trail Less Traveled, and today The Trail Less Traveled is featuring Blade Elliott. Blade is a pro rodeo cowboy who has been riding since he was 18 years old. Blade, I just want to say thank you so much for your time and energy joining me here today on The Trail Less Traveled.
1: Thanks, Mandela, for having me. It's been an awesome time.
0: I was wondering if you could share three bits of life advice with us.
1: Three bits. Well, it doesn't matter where you come up from. You can do whatever you want to do if you just set your mind to it. I know that's very generic, but if you listen to my story from Alabama, I don't know any real cowboys, and here I am now. I've rodeoed for 14-so years in the pro-rodeo circuit, and I'm from Alabama, and reach out and try to help. Give back. Another thing is give back. When you are that guy that's made it from not as good uh circumstances like uh give back to the ones that are coming up like that help them out another point is remember where you come from remember where you come from
0: you've been listening to the trail less traveled the Trail 103.3's locally harvested adventure radio series. The show airs every Sunday night at 6 and you can stream it online at trail1033.com. The Trail Less Traveled is also an award-winning podcast that's available on all platforms. You can follow the show, see pictures, and view the full show archive on the official website, net. The Trail Less Traveled is dedicated to documenting humanity by collecting stories and sounds from around the world. To view the Trail Less Traveled visual series and support international outreach programs, you can find us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Traveled. The adventure tip of the week is to consider wearing eye protection, sunglasses, or maybe even your seeing glasses when riding your motorcycle or mountain biking. You never know when a small unsuspecting branch could make contact with your eye. Happened to me last week, and I'm really grateful that it was only my lower lid. Gentle reminder to always protect your eyes. That's it for this week, Missoula, and our friends around the world. But until next week, please do something for Mother Earth. And, as always, get outside and shred the gnar. Because, as you know, the gnar does not shred itself. this episode, I'd like to give a Patreon shout out for the podcast hosted by my good friend, Steve Saroff. Steve's podcast is called Montana Voice. Montana Voice is a podcast of short stories and life lessons told through the truth of fiction. You can find the Montana Voice podcast on all platforms. The trail less traveled is fact, but if you want to listen to some fiction, I would highly recommend Montana Voice. Montana Voice is a podcast and web magazine of stories and truth with lessons on making, losing, and rediscovering fortunes of several kinds. Visit montanavoice.com.